0: Hello, and welcome to Day 9 of A Miserable Year. I'm Anthony Adler, and I'm going to be reading you the whole of Victor Hugo's Le Miserable. That's the podcast. In today's episode, we finally get to hear from the long-suffering sister of Bishop Muriel, Mademoiselle Baptistine. Enjoy! Les Miserables. Volume 1. Fontine, Book the First. A Just Man. Chapter 9. The Brother, as Depicted by the Sister. In order to furnish an idea of the private establishment of the Bishop of Dean, and in the manner in which those two sainted women subordinated their actions, their thoughts, their feminine instincts even, which is easily alarmed, to the habits and purposes of the bishop, without his even taking the trouble of speaking in order to explain them, we cannot do better than transcribe in this place a letter from Mademoiselle Baptistine to Madame the Vicomtesse de bois the friend of her childhood. This letter is in our possession. Dean, December 16th, 18-something. My good madam, not a day passes without our speaking of you. It is our established custom, but there is another reason besides. Just imagine, while washing and dusting the ceilings and walls, Madame Magloire has made some discoveries. Now our two chambers, hung with antique paper whitewashed over, would not discredit her chateau in the style of yours. Madame Magloire has pulled off all the paper. There were things beneath. My drawing-room, which contains no furniture, and which we use for spreading out the linen after washing, is fifteen feet in height, eighteen square, with a ceiling which was formerly painted and gilded, and with beams, as in yours. This was covered with a cloth while this was the hospital, and the woodwork was of the era of our grandmothers. But my room is the one you ought to see. Madame Miguel has discovered, under at least ten thicknesses of paper pasted on top, some paintings, which, without being good, are very tolerable. The subject is Telemachus being knighted by Minerva in some gardens, the name of which escapes me. In short, where the Roman ladies repaired in one single night. What shall I say to you? I have Romans, and Roman ladies, here occurs an illegible word, and the whole train. Madame Magloire has cleaned it all off. This summer, she is going to have some small injuries repaired and the whole re-varnished, and my chamber will be a regular museum. She has also found, in a corner of the attic, two wooden pier tables of ancient fashion. They asked us two crowns of six francs each to re them, but it is so much better to give the money to the poor, and they are very ugly besides, and I should much prefer a round table of mahogany. I am always very happy. My brother is so good. He gives all he has to the poor and sick. We are very much cramped. The country is trying in the winter, and we really must do something for those who are in need. We are almost comfortably lighted and warmed. You see that these are great treats. My brother has ways of his own. When he talks, he says that a bishop ought to be so. Just imagine, the door of our house is never fastened. Whoever chooses to enter finds himself at once in my brother's room. He fears nothing, even at night. That is his sort of bravery, he says. He does not wish me or Madame Magloire feel any fear for him. He exposes himself to all sorts of dangers, and he does not like to have us even seem to notice it. One must know how to understand him. He goes out in the rain, He walks in the water. He travels in winter. He fears neither suspicious roads, nor dangerous encounters, nor night. Last year, he went quite alone into a country of robbers. He would not take us. He was absent for a fortnight. On his return, nothing had happened to him. He was thought to be dead, but was perfectly well, and said, This is the way I have been robbed. And then he opened a trunk full of jewels, all the jewels of the Cathedral of Embron, which the thieves had given him. When he returned on that occasion, I could not refrain from scolding him a little, taking care, however, not to speak except when the carriage was making a noise, so that no one might hear me. At first, I used to say to myself, there are no dangers which will stop him, he is terrible. Now I have ended by getting used to it. I make a sign to Madame Megloir that she is not to oppose him he risks himself as he sees fit. I carry off Madame Magloire, I enter my chamber, I pray for him, and fall asleep. I am at ease, because I know that if anything were to happen to him, it would be the end of me. I should go to the good God with my brother and my bishop. It has cost Madame Magloire more trouble than it did me to accustom herself to what she terms his imprudences. But now the habit has been acquired. We prayed together, we tremble together, and we fall asleep. If the devil were to enter this house, he would be allowed to do so. After all, what is there for us to fear in this house? There is always someone with us who is stronger than we. The devil may pass through it, but the good God dwells here. This suffices me. My brother has no longer any need of saying a word to me. I understand him without his speaking and we abandon ourselves to the care of providence. That is the way one has to do with a man who possesses grandeur of soul. I have interrogated my brother with regard to the information which you desire on the subject of the Faux family. You are aware that he knows everything, and that he has memories because he is still a very good royalist. They really are a very ancient Norman family of the generalship of Cain. Five hundred years ago, there was a Raoul de a Jean de and a Thomas de who were gentlemen, and one of whom was a Seigneur de Rochefort. The last was Guy Etienne Alexandre, and was a commander of a regiment, and something in the light horse of Bretagne. His daughter, Marie Louise, married Adrien Charles de Gramont, son of the Duke Louis de Grammont, Peer of France, Colonel of the French Guards, and Lieutenant General of the Army. It is written Faux. Faux and faux. Good madam, recommend us to the prayers of your sainted relative, Monsieur the Cardinal. As for your dear Sylvanie, she has done well in not wasting the few moments which she passes with you in writing to me. She is well, works as you would wish, and loves me. That is all that I desire. The souvenir which she sent through you reached me safely, and it makes me very happy. My health is not so very bad, and yet I grow thinner every day. Farewell. My paper is at an end, and this forces me to leave you. A thousand good wishes. Baptistine. P.S. Your grandnephew is charming. Do you know that he will soon be five years old? Yesterday, he saw someone riding by on horseback who had on kneecaps, and he said, What has he got on his knees? he is a charming child. His little brother is dragging an old broom about the room like a carriage and saying, whew. As will be perceived from this letter, the two women understood how to mould themselves to the bishop's ways with that special feminine genius which comprehends the man better than he comprehends himself. The Bishop of Dean, in spite of the gentle and candid air which never deserted him, sometimes did things that were grand, bold and magnificent without seeming to have even a suspicion of the fact. They trembled, but they let him alone. Sometimes Madame Magrois essayed a remonstrance in advance, but never at the time, nor afterwards. They never interfered with him by so much as a word or a sign in any action once entered upon. At certain moments, without his having occasion to mention it, when he was not even conscious of it himself in all probability, so perfect was his simplicity. They vaguely felt that he was acting as a bishop. Then they were nothing more than two shadows in the house. They served him passively, and if obedience consisted in disappearing, they disappeared. They understood, with an admirable delicacy of instinct, that certain cares may be put under constraint. Thus, even when believing him to be in peril, They understood, I will not say his thought, but his nature, to such a degree that they no longer watched over him. They confided him to God. Moreover, Baptistine said, as we have just read, that her brother's end would prove her own. Madame Magloire did not say this, but she knew it.